this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. DIY and How Studios presents Real Rock with Andy King, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Real Rock. I'm your host, Andy King, and today we will be discussing the 1968 film Head, starring the Monkees. I will be going over various aspects of the film, so consider this your spoiler warning. Is it necessary to spoiler tag a 50-year-old movie? Yeah, it might not be necessary, but it feels like the right thing to do. You can purchase the film on Amazon or stream it on YouTube. They have the Criterion cut. It's pretty awesome. Then come back for some fun. Some of the questions we will be answering today are, Will I finally drive myself insane with my own ridiculous theories? Are the monkeys secretly proto-punks? And finally, how long can I last before I make the obvious crass joke? Probably around 15 seconds. So sit back, relax, pretend it's your birthday, as Real Rock gives you head. Look up. Look down. Look out. Here come the monkeys. Mickey, David, Mike, Peter, in head. That's right. Head. Head has everything. Including Victor Mature, Annette Funicello, Sonny Liston, and other incredible surprises. What is head? Head is the most extraordinary Western comedy. Love story, history, drama, musical, documentary, satire, ever film. And that's putting it mildly. Head for general audiences. Any rock digger is well aware of the sheer impact that 1967 had on the culture. Some of the greatest albums ever made were released in 67, including Are You Experienced from Jimi Hendrix, The Doors' debut album, Their Satanic Majesty's Request from The Stones, and many, many others. But one band rose above the pack. This group of four shaggy-haired ne'er-do-wells outsold everyone. I'm, of course, referring to the prefab for The Monkees. Yes, that's right. A band created for a TV show outsold everyone in one of the greatest years in music history. I don't want to spend too much time here on the history of the show and the band because I feel that it warrants its own episode. So to coin that phrase, we'll get there. For the sake of this story and the story of this film, it is important to know that despite the success of 1967, by the start of the following year, the monkeys were sick of it. 
They felt their scripts were monotonous and that the entirety of their act was stale. Mickey, Peter, Mike, and Davey were all talented in their own right and wanted the chance to explore their own creativity. But NBC had no interest in this. The network also wasn't too keen on the band's desire to change the format of their show to a more of a variety show with special guests and musical performances. They were able to sneak a few guests in the final season, but according to Peter Tork, everyone had developed such difficult personalities that the big name stars invited as guests on the show would invariably leave the experience hating everyone. To give you an idea of just how messed up they were that last year, Here's a clip of Frank Zappa in character as Mike Nesmith interviewing Mike Nesmith in character as Frank Zappa. Hello, I'm Mike Nesmith and I'm one of the monkeys. Tonight, as my guest on this wonderful television program, which has done so much for all of you young people out there, I have as my special guest, none other than Frank Zappa. That world famous person, participant in, perhaps even leader of, none other than the mothers of invention. And here he is. Love you, Frank Zappa. Hi, kids. Hi, Mike. Hi. It's really, it's really a pleasure to be here. It is? They have a lot of zany stuff on this program, don't you think? Well, tell me, Frank. Tell you what, Mike? No, you're supposed to talk like Frank. This is one of our cute numbers for the show. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to be you, and you're supposed to be me, right? You see the way we work this out in advance? Even though it's a movie starring the monkeys, the story of Head's production is really centered around monkeys creator Bob Rafelson, Jack Nicholson, and one of the most important movies of the decade, Easy Rider. When Bob met Jack and Peter Fonda, he really wanted to produce the film. He pitched the idea to Columbia Records, who were producing the monkey show at the time, and they agreed to finance Easy Rider on the grounds that he make a monkeys movie. Everybody met up at a resort motel, took a lot of drugs, and brainstormed story ideas that would become Head. If anyone has this tape, please, please release it as a podcast for us, because that sounds gold. The decision was made not to give the band writing credit, nor let them direct it all, which pissed them off enough that Dolans, Jones, and Nesmith didn't show up on the first day of filming in February of 1968, but concessions were made when the studio agreed to give a larger percentage of the film's net profit to the group. But by now, the relationship between the band and the producers was done. And everyone hates everyone. You know, things were so bad during filming that Rafelson would play songs from other bands at the time, announcing to everyone that this was real rock and roll. When filming finally wrapped on May 17th, the monkeys were, for all intents and purposes, dead. And I have a feeling that if they weren't smoking as much marijuana as they were at this point, the production notes would just be a list of fistfights. So let's all take a moment to thank Weed for saving the day. fight anymore. <laughs> I just want to lay down in the grass and be cool. <laughs> the film itself is seemingly plotless as it comes across as a collection of skits thrown together with no overlying story, but in true real rock fashion, I'm going to give it a shot. We open at a ribbon cutting ceremony on a bridge when Mikey breaks through the ribbon marathon style then immediately jumps seemingly to his death, but once underwater he does a ballet with two mermaids to the tune of Porpoise Song. He then emerges from an aquarium in the band's apartment where they are all having a kissing contest with Lady Pleasure. She says she can't really tell a difference between them. Ouch. 
As she leaves, a storyboard of 20 squares appears on the screen, showing scenes from the movie with the song Diddy Diego playing. This song was written by Nicholson as a parody of the TV theme song, and its lyrics let you know that this isn't the monkeys you're used to. Hey, now wait a minute. Now wait just a minute. Hey, hey, we are the monkeys. You know we love to please. A manufactured image with no philosophies. We hope you like our story, although there isn't one. That is to say there's many. That way there is more fun. You've told us you like action and games of many kinds. You like to dance, we like to sing, so let's all lose our minds. We know it doesn't matter, because what you came to see is what we'd love to give you and give it one, two, three. But it may come three, two, one, two, or jump from nine to five. And when you see the end in sight, the beginning may arrive. For those who look for meanings, inform as they do fact, we might tell you one thing, but we'd only take it back. Not back like in a box back, not back like in a race, not back so we can keep it, but back in time and space. You say we're manufactured, to that we all agree. So make your choice and we'll rejoice in never being free. Hey, hey, we are the monkeys, we've said it all before. The money's in, we're made of ten, we're here to give you more. The money's in, we're made The song ends with a gunshot and the infamous Viet Cong execution footage, which segues into the monkeys on a football field leading a war cheer. Then we go to a foxhole in World War II to concert footage where the boys escape, leaving mannequin replicas of themselves to be ripped to shreds by teenage fans. From there, we see Mickey in the desert fighting a coke machine, which he blows up with a tank, to all the monkeys surrounded by belly dancers getting their groove on to Can You Dig It? We then see Mickey and Mike in a western scene with a young Terry Gar. Mickey, upset at the fakeness of it all, decides to go on a rampage, busting up the set, until they are approached by Lord High and Low that explains to them that they can make millions from tie-ins. Joined by Davy, the three head for a studio club where Peter is already sitting, holding a melting ice cream cone that he refuses to let go. After insulting the, um, waiter? Waitress? Person in a dress? Davy is slapped, which transitions to Jones in a boxing match with Sonny Liston. Mickey goes crazy, punching everyone in the match, and the police have to break it up. We then go back to the studio where Peter punches the person in a dress from before, and the director yells cut, and the crew praise Peter. Peter is upset at himself and claims that being violent would hurt the band's image as he leaves the set. Eagle-eyed viewers can see Jack Nicholson and Dennis Hopper in the background of this scene that breaks the fourth wall. Okay, yeah. I think we're on another set. Yeah. Hey, Bob, that's all not right, right man. Well, all you know about hitting a girl. Over there. Yes, was that all right, man? Does that look good? I thought it looked great. Yeah, but about hitting a woman and everything. Man, it's about the image and everything. It's not right. No. Peter, I hate to interrupt that. Yeah, I know. It's for your niece. It's quite all right. What's that's your name? But we're on Mary. All right, fellas, let's move over to the right. Thank you. Peter, you got it? John, was that right, man? Yeah, fine. John, that's not right. You got to make this one. Can you move over to stage five? It has to be. I'll see you later, Peter. Bob, it's a movie for kids. They're not going to dig it, man. It's got to make a wardrobe change, man. Tell Gene to put my clothes in the chair. Gene Ashman, get the wardrobe ready. No, it's not right. No, Bob, it's for the image, man. Think of it. The kids aren't going to dig it, man. Me hitting a girl. Especially the way I feel about violence and all that stuff, you know? You know everybody knows. Cut it out of the film. If it doesn't work, cut it out of the film. Yeah, well, you tell me that, man, and it never happens. If they tell me it's going to cut it out of the film, Peter, let's go. Davey? Hurry up, Pete. That looks all right, man. What? Well, you know, hitting a girl and I'm Sure, it was great. Great. Terrific. Terrific. After a montage of each member walking solo to As We Go Along, the boys end up in a factory where Davies sees a series of mishaps, including a person's head falling off. Yeah, it's weird. The boys are then shoved into a dark room where they end up starring as dandruff on a giant Victor Mature. Yeah, it got weirder. 
You know, for those unaware, Mature was a leading man in the 40s and 50s Hollywood, most famously playing Samson in 1949's Samson and Delilah. Mature agreed to do this film because the script made no sense but made him laugh. That's the same reason I did this film. The band is sucked off of Victor's head by a vacuum, and once inside, they play around with giant items, including a joint. But Davy escapes and appears in a white tuxedo to do a Fred Astaire-esque dance to Daddy's song. This scene in particular is quite stunning as Jones's suit and the background switch from black to white and vice versa. He is joined in this scene by the film's choreographer and everyone's favorite Mickey-loving cheerleader, Tony Basil. Basil? Basil? I've never gotten that right. As Jones leaves the soundstage, he is greeted by Frank Zappa, who is walking a cow for some reason, and offers him some advice. The song was pretty white. Well, so am I. What can I tell you? You've been working on your dancing, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been rehearsing it. Glad you noticed that. Yeah, it doesn't leave much time for your music. You should spend more time on it because the youth of America depends on you to show the way. Yeah? Yeah. Monkeys is the craziest people. After escaping the police with the aid of the National Guard, experiencing some acid trip creepiness in a bathroom, and avoiding near death in a jungle, we are back in the band's apartment where Mike Nesmith is awakened and led to three monks who reveal themselves to be the other three monkeys who sing Happy Birthday to You and then are joined by a bunch of friends to dance to long title Do I Have to Do This All Over Again. The band is then confronted by the now impaired Lord High and Low and they mock him until a gunshot transitions the scene to a western set and the band is sent to jail. We are then transported to a sauna where Peter is listening to a swami espouse his beliefs but the sauna steams up as Peter walks away. He then finds his bandmates in the factory from before. Angrily, Davy rips through the warehouse to another western showdown with High and Low. Then they are set on top of a giant victor who claps them into another black box that is dropped into the desert where they face all the antagonists from the movie, including the coke machine. An acid-laced Armageddon ensues until the boys end up back at the beginning of the movie, but this time they jump off the bridge, finding themselves in a giant water tank carried by truck to the Columbia Studios prop department as Victor in the director's chair lights his pipe. It should be noted that they fit all this bullshit into less than an hour and a half. film was released theatrically in November of 1968 and failed miserably, partly due to the dwindling popularity of the monkeys and the canceling of the TV show, but also to blame is the surreal marketing campaign. The sole TV spot was just a close-up of PR man John Brockman, who, after 30 seconds, smiles, 
while the word head appears on his forehead. This, of course, was a parody of the 1964 Andy Warhol film Blowjob, which is 35 minutes of a close-up of an actor's face while he allegedly receives oral sex. And fellatio seemed to be all the rage in the 60s. Nah, it's still, it's still pretty awesome. Hi, Cherry. Head was also a critical failure being panned across the board. Daily Variety was especially mean-spirited, but praised Rafelson and Nicholson saying that they, quote, were wise not to attempt a firm storyline as the monkeys have established themselves in the art of the non-sequitur and outrageous action. Giving them material they can handle is good thinking. Asking them to achieve something more might have been a disaster. Ouch. You know, critics will never be truly objective because any kind of art appreciation will be influenced by personal feelings. Now, here at Real Rock, I wear my feelings on my sleeve and I definitely have an opinion on the monkeys. We'll get there. But putting that aside, you have to see how smart this film is. But, like every opinion, that seems to be dividing. The true messages of the film seem to have gone over the head of most critics and fans alike, especially in 1968. Which is weird because the symbolism is sort of heavy-handed. Head has something to say about how we romance the worst in society. From consumerism and how it leaves us empty and still searching, in the case of Mickey and the Coke Machine to our misplaced worship of celebrities, as seen with the mannequins, to our casual celebration of violence, as seen in the Jones-Liston fight, even our glorification of the genocide and the American expansion gets skewered in this movie. But our characters are destined to repeat the film over and over again, like a morbid Groundhog Day, as it seems to start and end with them jumping off the bridge. As the film was ending, I felt sad for the monkeys, or at least felt sad for the characters they were portraying. In this film, I saw four men whose celebrity made them feel trapped, constantly confronted by people hostile to them, and trying their damnedest to run away, only to be caught by the studio and forced to relive the hollowness that started it all to begin with. See, I know I know, I tend to read a whole lot more into movies than most people, but shit, if I keep this up, I might blow a gasket. With this in mind, I stopped by the Office of Career and College Planning Counselor, Greg Schlauderker, to get his opinion. Well, so here's the thing, Greg. Gregothy? Gregothy. Gregothy. Is that what I call you? No. Okay. <laughs> the critical consensus for this movie was that it was terrible. I read. But I didn't see it that way, and I honestly drove myself crazy trying to find a good review of it, because I can't find a good review of how I saw the movie, and I didn't see the movie the same way the critics did, apparently. And I'm thinking that I need another job, maybe. <laughs> you too wrapped up in it? I just, I, I got obsessed with it, man. It was just... Did you find that it had meaning? Yes. Like, deep meaning. Seriously? Yeah, absolutely. So, my, my problem is that... It was so flipped out, it was very hard for me to draw any meaning from it. And I thought that their entire MO on the thing was that they were just trying to fuck with you. <laughs> That's all they were trying to do is just put some shit out there that meant absolutely nothing. But you didn't see it that way. I saw it as a really smart satire of American consumerism. Okay. I can see some of that. And oh, the- for sure. Absolutely. And the commercialization of art. Okay. With jabs at how the American West romanticizes 
like more. So I, as I was watching it, I honestly I thought that the messages were a little heavy-handed, but then I couldn't get another consensus of that. Not it might be the first meta movie. I can't think of a meta movie that has came out before Head. And I might be wrong. I'm, I'm, and, I'll, and you could be reading a lot into it, right? I do that. Could be. They're completely self-referential. The whole time. The whole time. You bet. They say it in the beginning. We're the monkeys. We've got no philosophy. We're manufactured. Absolutely. I remember that. Yeah. So they're, they're right on themselves. The whole time, they know what they're about. Well, right, because they did the TV shows and they were catering to the preteen crowd. Right, that was two years out of a 50-year career. But that's all anybody remembers. I know, and it's bullshit, man. (laughs) It's all I remember. And, like, some of the greatest songwriters ever wrote the songs and played on the songs. You know? They knew everybody, right? And even, like, in this movie, which has a lot of monkeys written songs, Carol King shows up, Harry Nielsen shows up. Frank Zappa shows up. Well, he shows up in cameo form. Right. But like, Ow. yeah, <laughs> those monkeys are crazy. <laughs> That's hilarious. And he, was, what was he saying? He was saying, "You need to step up, dude. They're counting on you. The youth of America depends on you to show the way." <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah. <laughs> you can always trust Zappa. That is hilarious. To give you some good time. And when I saw Terry Gar, I'm like, wait, hold on. Yeah. You had to suck it till the poison comes out. Yeah. That one. Yeah. On the on the soundtrack, um, they play that line a lot in the soundtrack. <laughs> so you're like, okay, so this movie's called Head. Right. Literally, so that their next movie could say, from the people who brought you who gave you head. I I learned so much about the monkeys. I, I didn't get the whole thing about the desert. That was a takeoff on old Coke commercials. Yeah, with the empty Coke machine in the desert. And Coke wasn't happy about it. I bet they weren't blowing it up with a tank. <laughs> there were some, I mean, it was, seriously, a hundred and, uh, an hour and 26 minutes I am never going to get back. Now, think but about there it. were some funny parts to it, I, I, I got to admit. Now, okay, so let me ask you this. Were you into the monkeys at all? In your life, were, I mean, were you a fan of the monkeys? When well, you as a kid, right, I watched the reruns of the shows all the time. We'd come home from after school, it'd be on, we'd watch it every single day. I saw every one of them, I'm sure, multiple times. But music-wise, other than what was on the show, nah. It never stuck. My question to you, because you're like a professional career counselor, you help people out, you help people get to college and stuff like that. Am I going to lose my mind watching movies? Like, should I find a new line of work? (laughs) Should I stop? Should I stop? Because I feel like I'm going to go crazy, but I also feel like I'm reading in the subtext that's not there. But then when I point it out, everybody goes, oh, shit, I totally get it. Yeah, I see where you... Yeah, I get it. Am am I fucking wrong? Do I need another job? You know, it's, it's art, right? I mean, you make art whatever you want art to be, right? The artist had an idea of what he was doing, but... That doesn't have to be your idea, right? Right. Who gives a shit? Well, I do. I like movies. Yeah, right. So, so <laughs> what, do you need somebody to agree with you that that Some... head was not a waste of my time? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Before I wrap this up and rate this film, I think it's important that you know that I have always hated the monkeys. To no fault of theirs. You see, the monkeys were responsible for my first rock and roll embarrassment, and I've never quite been able to forgive them for it. In our house was a jukebox that played old 45s. Some of the highlights were Link Ray's Rumble and Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues, but a few tracks didn't have artist names, just song titles. One of those tracks was Steppin' Stone. That became a go-to song for me, and it was one of my favorites. I even half-assed figured out an out-of-key cover for this song on my cheapo Sears guitar. Now comes the embarrassing part. Me and some buddies from school had our first little punk rock band, and one of the first songs I tried to get us to play was Stepping Stone. Our lead singer laughed as he explained that that was a monkey song and it wasn't punk enough. And we never did play Stepping Stone, and, and I have never forgiven the monkeys for making me momentarily lose my middle school punk credibility. But I can't blame the monkeys, though. Not, not really, because the version on my grandma's jukebox was Paul Revere and the Raiders, but every time in my life I've thought about the monkeys, I've relived that moment and felt that cringe. Today, as a bona fide rock and roll archaeologist, I can tell you that both the Sex Pistols and Minor Threat covered Stepping Stone, so they thought it was punk enough, so fuck you, Garth. You know, it's interesting that this uh, episode ends there. This episode ends on a fuck you. Because Head is a giant fuck you to Columbia. Whether they got it or not. Yeah, it's a good fuck you to critics who don't understand symbolism, apparently. And finally, it's the monkeys fuck you to their old selves. Of course, on the surface, Head is an acid-fueled clusterfuck, but in the subtext, it's a masterpiece of fuck you punk rock cinema. The official real rock rating is 4 out of 5 stars. Did you enjoy the fact that I didn't spam this show with Patreon drops? I didn't even stop mid-episode to remind you that you can pick up all kinds of goodies at rockandrollarchaeology.com. I want to keep it that way. So head over to rockandrollarchaeology.com and check it out. Want to talk to me? Hit me up at realrockpodcast at gmail.com. That's real with two E's. I'm your host, Andy King, and you just received a film review for the movie Head. Stepping stone. No, I'm not your stepping stone. Well, you're trying to make your mark on society by using all the tricks that you used on me. You're reading all them high fashion magazines, the clothes you wear and lately causing public scenes. I said, I'm not your stepping stone. Hey diggers, Christian Swain here with a short pause for a great cause. We believe music education for young people is an investment in a better future for all of us. If you listen to our podcasts, chances are you agree. Little Kids Rock has transformed the lives of more than 650,000 public school students by bringing music education into their schools. Little Kids Rock trains teachers in underfunded schools to teach kids the music they love from the Beatles to Bruno Mars, 
Led Zeppelin to Lady Gaga, Chuck Berry to Chance the Rapper. Little Kids Rock has become a national movement to restore, expand, and innovate music education in public schools across America. Visit littlekidsrock.org and learn more about how you can help put music where it belongs, in our schools. Thank you, and let's keep up the rockin' right into the next generation. Re-Rock is produced by DIY and House Studios and is a part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Re-Rock is written by Andy King. All commentary and opinions are that of the host. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. Playlists can be found at Spotify. Purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rockandrollarchaeology.com for more information.